to you because you are the absolute example of kindness, of patience, of grace. And we thank you that you have had mercy on us and you have placed us into your eternal family. And so we now are a nation of kings and priests because you've connected us with your son, Jesus, who is king and priest. We ask that you would bless our time together today in your word, that you would give us wisdom and clarity, give us humility and obedience. We pray, dear God, that you would reproduce Christ in her, reproduce Christ in him. We pray, O oh God, that we would be forever changed because of your word. We give you praise and glory. We thank you because any impact is from you, and we give you the glory for whatever you do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to continue encouraging you. Pray for wisdom. Constantly ask God, Lord, give me wisdom. Because with God's wisdom comes God's favor and God's blessing. Uh, with wisdom comes life. And so try to remember to do that on a daily basis. And in our decision making, we got to ask God for special wisdom. And uh, we also have to ask God, God, sometimes you're going to show me wisdom and uh, I'm going to miss it. I'm going to mess it up. And I'm just asking you, dear God, when I just unintentionally mess it up, that you show me patience and uh, that you close doors that are harmful and open the right doors that you want me to follow. And, and if we have that kind of heart toward God while we're submitted, surrendered to his lordship, he will indeed lead us and keep us out of the wrong uh, situations. And so let's pray for wisdom on a daily basis. We've got to pray for wisdom for our children. We've got to pray for wisdom for our family members, our friends, our church, our leaders, our nation. We've got to be asking God for wisdom. So here's what I want to know. Without using any notes, anybody remember the three kinds of fools in the book of Proverbs that we've been talking about? Can I see a hand if you remember the three kinds of fools? And I got hints right here on the screen because that first kind of fool is that one who says, I don't care to know if there is a God. I'm lazy about stuff like that. And I'll give you a hint. Just remember the word knee. And, but it's just three, K-N-E. The first one starts with the K. It was what? Yes, Casil. Yes, uh, but, you, but, but that's good. Casil uh, is the correct pronunciation. So Casil, that is the one who is just foolish because they're too lazy to dig for wisdom, to do any research, do any kind of studying. Good. And then there is the one that starts with an N, and uh, the hint for this one is there is no God. He just denies that there is a God. I live by the laws of the jungle. Uh, don't, don't tell me about God. What is it? Yes, yes. Uh, we, we sort of say Nabal, but it's Nabal. Like naw, N-A-W-B-A-W-L, naw ball. Yes, good. Good, good. And then there's one more, starts with an E. Yes, a veal. Yeah, close to evil, but it's a veal. So that's the one that is arrogant and offended by wisdom and says... Uh, basically, by their arrogance and their attitude and their strong opinions, I'm God. Uh, I'm the authority. What I say is right. So those are the three kinds of fool. And uh, that's good that you remember that. And uh, I want to know this one 
Anybody remember how to spot a fool in the book of Proverbs? We talked about 12 ways to spot a fool in the book of Proverbs. Anybody remember one? How do you spot a fool? How's that? By the level of understanding? (laughs) That's one way. Any other way? Anybody remember one? Yeah, fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding, the beginning of wisdom. How else can we spot a fool? Huh? Birds of a feather. So you can spot a fool by the company they keep? Okay. So if somebody is always hanging around with uh, fools, and they're not witnessing to them, they're not helping them out of their foolishness, um, you can be pretty sure that it's because they're a fool too, or they have a lot of foolishness that they haven't let God deal with. So uh, we talked about the 12 ways, and um, I actually added three more on my slide in terms of how fools are spotted, not just by their level of understanding, not just by their companions, not just by their needless suffering, and sometimes we don't see it, sometimes it's invisible, um, not just by their arrogance, and we talked about how they react to wise counsel. They either clam up or blow up, one or the other. And number six, by their resistance. In other words, they're just unable to change. We talked about their low productivity. If you are wasting your life, uh, God calls that foolishness. And we certainly want to see our best productivity within the kingdom of God. Do I have a function within the kingdom of God? Am I being high productive in the kingdom of God? Uh, By their hurry, uh, fools are short-sighted. They will make quick decisions. They'll make it with not enough information. And um, they choose shallow, short-term things often rather than the long-term. By their injury of others. Uh, You've heard that saying, hurt people hurt people. Uh, The fool is the one who gets hurt deeply and they turn around and hurt somebody else. And that's why the Bible says the companion of fools will suffer harm. Eventually, they'll get you um, by the kind of relationship they have with God. People who have no relationship with God, people who deny there is a God, people who have a cold, casual relationship with God, That's a foolish person. Somebody like God, uh, you want to cuddle up as close as you can to them and have as much of their favor as possible. You you, You want God to rub off on you as much as possible so you can get his character. Um, If you have a casual or no relationship with God, that is foolish. By their tongue, they tend to be profane, inappropriate, contentious, Um, their tongue tends to spoil things for them. Uh, Number 12 is by their complacency. They are in danger, but they have this sense of, um, there's nothing to worry about. We were uh, leaving Avery's place last night, and we uh, were going down this dark street, and um, there was this girl uh, just walking all by herself and, and, and not paying attention, just flipping through her cell phone. Uh, and and um, just no, no awareness of her surroundings. And you hear the news about these people who come up missing, and especially young ladies. And, and, and it's like, there's just nothing to worry about. And we get like a block down the road, and there's another girl all by herself, walking in the dark, you know, um, just just nothing to worry about. And uh, that's that complacency where you just don't have that awareness of danger. By their emotionalism, um, this is one of the ones that I added since last week. Uh, Fools tend to lead by their emotions rather than by good, solid logic, reasoning, wisdom. 
um, upset, a fool, and, and how do they react? Not with sense, they react with emotion. Number 14 is by their money handling, un unwilling to work, and so that gives them money problems, willing to acquire it unjustly by robbing, by cheating, by gambling. Um, that hurts them. Willing to be in debt over their heads, uh, debt that they can't really handle. And then quick to co-sign for the wrong people. Generally, if, something, um, uh, if someone needs a co-signer generally, and this is not always the case, uh, but generally when somebody needs a co-signer, it's because they're trying to buy something they cannot afford. So, um, wise people, they know who to co-sign for, when to co-sign, whether to co-sign, and so they use uh, a great deal of wisdom before they co-sign. And then number 15, uh, you'll find this also in the book of Proverbs, is by their intoxication. A fool runs after intoxication and um, is willing to pay the cost. Uh, there are people with DWIs and arrest records and abuse records, and uh, so much of it is traced right back to they were intoxicated. Uh, getting molested, getting robbed, all kinds of things behind intoxication. Um, intoxication is one of those things where it used to be something that I used to very much enjoy when I was an absolute idiot, when I was a total fool. And when I became a believer, I very quickly came to the understanding that this is not for me. Um, intoxication has one function, and that is to be toxic to your brain. In other words, the only function it has is to lower your brain's ability. It impairs your brain. It, it cripples your brain. That's the only thing that intoxication does. It is the one thing that it does. It cripples your brain. Who wants to walk around with half a brain? Um, there, there's a guy that I worked with, and um, he had a great job. And uh, he went to the company Christmas party and got intoxicated and uh, lost his job. He had better sense than that, except when his brain was crippled. Uh, if you want to make a bad decision, just get intoxicated first and then make the decision. And so the book of Proverbs says that intoxication is not for uh, those who are rulers, it's not for those who are leaders, it's not for the wise. And so uh, we talk about the high cost of our foolishness, and here I've highlighted a couple items from each column, like depression. Uh, often the reason that people are depressed is because of foolish decisions and because of that foolishness that doesn't allow them to process properly what is going on. For instance, if uh, I'm going through something because it's a trial and God is growing me, is that supposed to depress me? No, it's not supposed to depress me. It's supposed to give me a sense of, yes, this is painful, but it's pain with a purpose, and I'm thankful to God that he is still working on me. But if we don't process it properly, it's just depression. Uh, legal problems, uh, needing a lawyer, or having to pay for stuff that shouldn't even be coming out of our budget, but legal problems because of foolishness. Um, wayward children, where we raise children who just turn out all wrong. Uh, a lot of that is foolish parenting because God has given them to us, yes, with personality and their own will, but we get to shape them. We get to help uh, mold them into the people they become. 
And if we do it in a foolish way, it can very easily turn them out as ungodly. Inability to learn from failure, where people do the same thing over and over and over again. Delayed achievement where you should have been at a better spot in life by now, but foolishness has slowed you down. And uh, that uh, last one is a reprobate mind. Do you know what that is? That's when um, you get to the place where you're stuck. That's a reprobate mind. Um, this is something that counselors can't help you out of. It's not something that anybody can pray you out of. This is a judicial act. This is God saying, okay, so you did not want my wisdom. You did not want my word. You did not want my will. Then I will give you what you want, and you are sealed in. Why are you sealed in? Because God has left you to your own devices. You can't get yourself out. You can't get yourself out. Only God can change our minds and give us light and give us wisdom. And if you choose to ignore God's wisdom, uh, God can come to the place where he says to you, I'll have it. I'll let you have your way. So, reprobate mind is a bad place to be because you don't get to uh, bounce back from that. Reprobate mind. We find that in Romans chapter 1 very clearly. Um, and, of course, that's not the only place. So, this is why we should beg for wisdom. Because foolishness has way too high of a cost. Nice to see Nicole getting a break today and getting to sit in with the big people. <laughs> Appreciate the way that you're going after the children's church and um, all that you're putting into it, Nicole. So... Um, we're talking about the knowledge of God. Uh, Proverbs 2 and 5, this is what you get when you are seeking wisdom. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord. There are people who read the Bible and they see how God responded to different situations. And they still have no fear of God. Like, for instance, Miriam, shooting off her mouth to Moses, her younger brother. And uh, God said, uh, basically, hey, Miriam, you got a problem with my appointed leader. God came down in a cloud. And here's Miriam, and she had gotten Aaron to feed into it. You know how it is, right? Whenever people want to do something, they want to bring somebody else into it. Uh, the cloud lifted, and Miriam was white as paper, white as snow. Why? Because she had leprosy from head to toe. In other words, she was dying. And... Uh, the only reason that she didn't is because Moses prayed for her and asked God to forgive her. She had no idea that God shows up like that. That he would just get in your face like without warning, without any kind of indication that he is going to eat your lunch. If you don't have a fear of God and you think you're all that and a bag of chips, it puts you in a dangerous, dangerous place. Because God shows up. What God wants us to do is discern the fear of the Lord. 
It takes away arrogance. It takes away sin. It makes us humble. It makes us patient. It makes us gentle. And there's something else that you get with wisdom, and this is huge. You also discover the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. Do you know what happens when people don't know the nature of God? Um, they get it wrong. They make assumptions. They miss out on the person that God really is. There are some people who think that God is just a Santa Claus in the sky, and that's their view of God, and that's the way they treat him. They don't respect him. They don't sacrifice for him. They just treat him like, you know what? I'll call you when I need you. I'll call you when I want something. That's their view of God. But what God wants is for us to have a right view, a right understanding of who he is. God is saying, I don't want you to just know about me. I want you to get to know me. And that is what produces intimacy with God, that closeness. That's what allows that favor and blessing to just flow into our lives. Why? Because now we're talking about a partnership. We're talking about a close family relationship. That's what God wants with you. And so he says wisdom is what allows us to discover the knowledge of God. What happens when we discover who God is? Number one, we figure out we're not God. Um, remember Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah had an encounter with God and he got to figure out, <laughs> whoa, uh, I had no idea. It was on that day that Isaiah really saw how small he was. Uh, he said, woe is me, I am undone. Why? Because he got a real picture of who God is. The book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, the book of Ezekiel, they paint these pictures of God who is surrounded by 100,000, uh, maybe more angels who are at his disposal, who are just going back and forth serving him and carrying out tasks. To get a picture of God, to really understand who God is, that's a huge blessing. Helps us to understand how big he is and that the people that we think are big, there is nothing to them. You can face any fear if you know that God is with you and you know who God is. And so that's what God wants for us, is the knowledge of God. And he says, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Have you ever met somebody who really enjoys learning? Like, they, they eat it up like candy. You ever meet a person like that? Like, man, you know, this is when I'm in my element. Like, I could be a lifelong student. I could do this for the rest of my life. I love learning. God says, that's the way I want wisdom and knowledge to be to you. I want it to be really pleasant to your soul where you're saying, Man, I really love these things that God has revealed to me. I, I love learning more about God. That's the kind of attitude that God wants us to have toward him. I want to show you something in Romans chapter 1 that links to what we're talking about in the book of Proverbs about wisdom and knowledge and the knowledge of God and that knowledge being pleasant to us. In Romans chapter 1, this is the picture of humanity. This is the picture of most of the people we know. 
Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For even though they knew God, how can you be so sure of that? That's what Psalm, 1, uh, that's what Psalm 19 talks about. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, you know, the sky shows his handiwork, and day after day, night, on, night after night, that God reveals himself through nature. All you have to do is just be a casual observer of nature. Look at the order. Look at the magnitude. Look at the power. And it tells you there is a creator. Even in our consciences, there's justice. There's a sense of right and wrong. It gives us a knowledge of God as the judge. There's a sense of foreboding when we sin that retribution will come. And that's why people live in fear when they live in sin. And so people know God. But what's the problem? They did not honor him as God. In other words, I'm not going to bow down and obey his will. I'm going to do what I want to do. I am going to be master of my life and my destiny. That's most people that we know. I am not going to submit to God's moral code. I will decide what is right and wrong for me. I will decide what is old-fashioned versus what is in vogue. I will decide what applies to me and what does not apply to me. That's where most people are. They're not saying, God, if you show me what is right, I will do that. If you show me what is wrong, I will not do that. No, they have their own moral code. They don't bow down and honor God as their king. And that next line says, uh, not only did they not honor him, but check this out, or give thanks. They are not even thankful for all the things that God has done and all the things that God is done, uh, is, is doing, they're just not thankful toward God. That is not their attitude toward God. It's more like, well, I didn't ask to be created, and so he owes me. It's his duty to bless me, to take care of me. Well, maybe you could make that case if you weren't a rebel. But because of your sinfulness, what God owes you is punishment. They're not thankful to God for his unending blessings that are happening every day at every moment. And so they're, they're not giving thanks. And then check this out. Be besides that, they became totally useless to God. That's what futile means. Futile means they're totally useless. That's where the average person lives. Um, I am not living for God. I am working for me. I am saving for me. I'm investing for me. Uh, everything is about me, my comfort, my safety, my enjoyment. Everything is about me. They have become futile. Why is it they have become so useless? Because instead of embracing the wisdom of God from the word of God, they embrace their speculations. You know what speculations are? Speculations are personal opinions. Speculations are my assumptions, my theories. Speculations are, well, here's how I see it. Speculations are, well, God did give us common sense. No, um, our common sense has been tainted, and so our common sense has to be subjected to the word of God. People who live by speculation because they don't know the word of God, 
because they have rejected the word of God. And all you have to do to reject something is just not receive it. If you're not reading the word of God, that's the equivalent of rejecting the word of God. If you're not learning the word of God, that's the equivalent of rejecting the word of God. And so they're running on speculations. They do all kinds of stuff. Is it because of the Bible? No. Is it because they're getting this from God? No. It's their own personal opinions about right and wrong rather than subjecting themselves to the word of God. And that's a bad place to be. Why? Because you've got to give an account for all that stuff. You have to give an account for leading a life that is off kilter, that is off course. You've got to give an account for that. That's why it's bad. And what's the other problem with speculations? Is where it leads. If you're living your life by speculations, personal opinion, uh, your wisdom instead of God's, conventional wisdom instead of the Word of God, where does it lead? Their foolish heart was darkened. You know what darkness is? Moral decline. When you get away from the Word of God, you don't live a holy life. Um, instead, you go to that place that the Apostle Paul talks about. They have a form or an appearance of godliness. But they're denying the power of godliness. It's not transforming them. And they're not using it to help with anybody else's transformation. They just have a, an appearance of godliness. And there's no power. No power. Whatever they do, it's fleshly. It's by their own strength, uh, by their own ability. And they're never filled with the Spirit, never filled with power. Um, they're, they're living in a place where their morals are being darkened, and they don't see it. They will do things that are directly contradictory to the Word of God, and it doesn't bother their conscience. It doesn't prompt them to apologize, to say, I'm sorry. That's because... They're being darkened. And so, you see what it says in verse number 22? Professing to be wise. Um, that's, that, that's a dangerous place. In the midst of saying, I am wise. And there are people who believe that they are gifted with wisdom, that they're gifted with discernment, professing to be wise. They became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. And so here's the problem. Anytime you reject the wisdom of God, you reject God, and you replace God with something else. What do you replace God with? The glory of the incorruptible God is replaced with an image in the form of corruptible man. You know what starts happening when you don't embrace God? You start with embracing a person. And uh, you don't stay there. It just keeps going lower. First, there is corruptible man. We become worshipers of some person, some personality. We uh, want to be them, and we may not admit that, but we have somebody we want to be, somebody that we worship. But we don't stop there. Um, it goes down to birds. 
in this culture, that was the next level. Birds. Why? Because they had the power of flight. They were graceful. And then it goes down to the four-footed animals. They can't fly. And ultimately, down to the lowest level, just crawling creatures. Where did it start? They knew about God, but they're not submitting. You see that other big one? They're not giving thanks. For all his constant blessings. Um, different countries have Thanksgiving on different days and there's a day of Thanksgiving that is set aside for God here in America and we have taken that and so perverted it. Um, it's about the pilgrims, it's, it, it's about something else, it's about family, it's about football and uh, it's a day where it is hard to even get church people to stop what they're doing, come together for a time of corporate worship, to give thanks. When we're not thankful, it goes downhill. And I just uh, pray <laughs> not just for a day of thanksgiving, because a day of thanksgiving is an insult, right? Is he special just one day of the year? A day of thanksgiving would be an insult, but to live lives that are grateful, that we're thankful to God for his many blessings. Um, what blessings? What blessings? So, what is more likely for me, because of the evil of my heart, it's more likely for me that I'll complain rather than give thanks. It's more likely that I will count my shortcomings, that I'll count my curses that I will count the things that I don't have, that I'll so quickly notice them. Why? Because of my selfishness. And maybe you don't have that problem where you're more likely to count your complaints than to count your blessings. What kind of blessings? What kinds of things should we, be the, should we be thankful for? Mercy? Absolutely. So, when you look in the mirror, you're looking at a person who was hand-picked by God. In eternity past, God picked you. And then personally stitched you together, cell by cell, tissue by tissue, organ by organ. When you were in your mother's womb, he personally stitched you together. That's a God thing. That could not happen without the direct hand of God. You're a miracle that you were put together the way that you are. You think that cells just know what to do by themselves and they just do it? No. Absolutely not. When cells act on their own, that's where cancer comes from. Cells don't know what to do. That is God stitching you together. And when he was doing that, he was saying, I'm not just picking you to be a part of my world. I'm picking you because I want to have a relationship with you. That you really 
or important to me, you mean something to me. You ever get a call from the president? The governor? The mayor? You ever get a call from your city councilman? You're not important to any of them? Well, God says you sure are important to me and I'm the most important person in the world, bigger and more powerful than any of them. He picked you. There was no reason for you to exist except for the fact that God picked you. Are you aware of this? Every day that you survive is a day God made a choice, a decision to protect you. If you ever have one day where God says, I'm not going to shield her, I'm not going to protect him today, that will be your last day. Do you know how many people leave this planet every day? Do you know how many things there are that could kill you, would kill you, if God were not protecting you every day? Do you know how randomly people die every day? The only reason that you're here today is because God made a choice that he was going to protect you. You're under his protection. Does that make you grateful? For some people, they're here because they're so careful, they're so smart, they're so lucky. Nope. God made a decision that he would protect you. Um, every meal you eat is a meal that God chose to provide for you. Not everybody on this planet gets a meal every day. One of the things that is going to be so upsetting to people who go to hell is that there's no food. There's no water. There's no medicine. There's no protection. There are no clothes. There's no love. There's no prayer. There's nobody to come to rescue you. Um, the reason that you eat is because God provides it for you, and he doesn't have to. Does it make you grateful? Every breath of fresh air. You ever see how much pollution is going into the atmosphere? You ever drive behind somebody and uh, you can smell the exhaust from their car? You ever see the stacks at the refineries, the chemical plants, the power plants? You ever see all of the pollution that we are dumping into our sky every day? Do you know why you still have fresh air? Because God keeps scrubbing the atmosphere over and over and over again with his wind, with his rain. He just keeps scrubbing the atmosphere over and over again. He uses gravity to allow stuff to fall down to the earth and into the ocean to where we're not breathing it. One of the uh, curses during the tribulation period is when God shuts down the wind. And this is going to be a miserable place to live. When God stops all the wind from blowing. Did you know that God is the reason that demons are not assaulting you? You can't see them. You can't 
tell how many are in this room or how many are in your house or how many are at your workplace or how many are in the car next to you. But there are millions and millions of evil spirits. Uh, Peter said, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In other words, the devil and his demons are always scouring the earth looking for somebody they can eat alive. But God hasn't let them touch you. He hasn't let them become visible to you. He hasn't let them molest you. If he took away his hand, you would, you would know immediately. If he removed his protection from you, you would be a total mess in just a few minutes. But God is keeping all those demons around you at bay. Are you grateful for his protection? You would lose your mind in short order if God would just let the demons in to your life. You ever see pictures of the moon? What do you notice about it? Craters everywhere. Why is that? Because of asteroid strikes. There are little craters, there are big craters. And uh, it's not just the moon. And there are places within our solar system where there is just a constant, strong bombardment of asteroids. How is it that our planet is not getting these mountain-sized pieces of rocks hitting it? Why is that? Is it just because... <laughs> um, Like, there's just no reason for it? We've just been lucky? No. Um, God placed this planet in a calm place within the Milky Way galaxy. It is a place where we're not being bombarded by asteroids. It is a place where there is the clarity of space that we can see outside of the galaxy. That was very intentional. The distance that he placed us from the sun, Mars, a little bit farther away from the sun, and uh, you can't live there because of the ice, how cold it is. The planets that are a little bit closer to the sun, no liquid water, it boils off because it's too close to the sun. We're in what scientists have described as the Goldilocks zone, like we're in the perfect spot. We get lots of meteors and we have uh, this atmosphere that burns them up and we have the Earth's magnetic shield and we have the moon providing protection If it weren't for God, um, life on this planet would all be destroyed very quickly. We're in a protected world. Do you think about his blessings? Um, what do you think about this? This is the only planet in our solar system 
that has one moon. Like, and what's the big deal? Some of the planets in our solar system, a couple of them have no moon. Some have many moons. Do you know what our moon does for us that God has given to us? Our weather is enjoyable because of the moon, its size, its position, its effect on the planet. Who put it right there where it was in the perfect spot to do us good and not harm? It was God. What would happen if we added a second moon? <laughs> Total chaos. What would happen if we had no moon? Total chaos. Because it's not just the weather that it impacts. It's the seasons of the year it impacts. It impacts animal migration. It impacts the amount of time our planet takes to revolve around the sun. The moon slows down our rotation around the sun. If it weren't for the moon, we'd be getting around the sun like, um, or, or, or rotating, I'm sorry, rotating uh, to where not it takes 24 hours, but it'd be like more like six or eight hours if it weren't for the moon. And so it'd be day and night every six and eight hours instead of every 24 hours. The ocean tides, um, that's the moon. The magnetic field around the earth, that's impacted by the moon and its magnetic field. There's a whole lot that God has intricately built into our world and manages and maintains. This stuff would all break if it were man-made. The reason that it's good for us to learn about God and his blessings and his order and his power, the reason it's good for knowledge to become pleasant to our soul and so that we can be grateful and we can be worshipers and we can be blessed and we can be close to God, but even the right amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. What would happen if we didn't have any CO2 in the atmosphere? Our planet would be much colder. We need that CO2 to retain the light, the heat that would be lost right into space without it. What about the nitrogen? Do you know what would happen if we uh, just had an oxygen atmosphere? You know what oxygen does? It's really corrosive. It's really explosive. Talk about fires, explosions all over the place. Who has to balance that to maintain that? God. If we wanted to go and start up another planet somewhere, we couldn't just take oxygen with us. We would need the CO2, we would need the nitrogen, we would need it all. What other planet in our solar system has water on the surface? Nobody. So there's a lot that God does. Blessings that we don't even comprehend. Not just the stuff that we see and notice, and, but there's just a world of stuff that God is doing for us. And so I pray that there's a sense of awe, a sense of thanksgiving and gratitude 
for all that God is doing for you. All that God has done for you. Um, and so, we'll, we'll uh, stop here with this modern day proverb. What does this mean? How many of you would say, I know exactly what that means. Can I see your hands? I know exactly what that means. Okay. And how many would say, I think I know what it means. Can I see your hands? Okay. Got a couple hands on that one. And how many would say, no clue. Can I see your hands? Okay. And some didn't raise their hands that either case the world is not what it is it is what you see it as who wants to take a shot at it all right It's your perception, okay? Um, there was a guy who walked into a strange city one day, and he met this guy that was sitting there at the city gate. And he asked the guy, so how are the people in this town? And the guy said to him, how are the people where you came from? Oh, they're mean where I come from. He said, you'll find them to be the same way here. Another guy comes along and asks the same question. How are the people in this town? And he said, how are the people uh, where you're from? Oh, uh, where I'm from, the people are friendly. And he said, you'll find them the same here. Which one was right? Both? Why is that? Yeah. Absolutely. I've had people say to me something negative about a person, and I'm thinking, where did they get that from? I, I find that exact same person to be just the opposite. Um, the world is what you see it as. It simply means that However you perceive the world, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. There are some people who believe that everybody is unfriendly. And what does it make them do? Shut down, be isolated, be cold, be unsociable. Be suspicious, be on guard, be defensive, right? And if somebody else sees the world as what a wonderful place, they're going to be engaging and sociable. And um, it doesn't mean that they're not going to ever have a bad experience, but they're going to have a lot more friends and a lot more interaction and a lot more enjoyment. A person who is an optimist, they're going to see the world one way, 
and experience the world one way, and a person who's a pessimist is going to see the world another way and experience it another way. Okay. Um, we'll stop there. But any questions about what we talked about today, about gratitude and about appreciating the knowledge of God? Any questions? Any uh, comments about anything that we talked about? Any comments? Any comments? If not, appreciate you listening. And I pray that you will pursue wisdom, that you will pursue the knowledge of the Almighty, that you will have a heart that is worshipful toward Him and a heart that is grateful toward Him. Let's pray, shall we? We ask, dear God, that you would take your word and that you would clarify it to our hearts, that you would instill it in our hearts, that we would find your word inviting, that we would find your word sweet. That's how some have described your word, that it's sweet like honey in the honeycomb. I pray that you would make that our reality and that we stand in awe of this God who is altogether inscrutable. We can not comprehend the magnitude of who you are, but help us to get to know you better, to love you more, to obey, dear God, with swiftness. I pray that you would just bless our lives as we respond to your goodness. Help us to have wisdom. Grow us up into the image of Christ. Never stop working on us. Getting out the foolishness, the shallowness, the worldliness, the materialism. We pray, O oh God, that our hearts will reflect your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.